Let's take out our Bibles. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to read verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. We kind of labeled this, if you remember from last week, we labeled this the heart of the matter. Mostly because of this command. We recognize that a lot of the commands dealt with actions. Uh, the last week's command, the ninth command, dealt with speech. This command deals with attitude. It deals with, with heart. And so that's why we call it the heart of the matter. Because the, the command dealing with speech, Jesus told us, it's out of your heart that your mouth speaks. So that's a heart issue. But then especially this last one, it's all, it's all about the heart. And that's really what, when you look at the Ten Commandments, that's what they're about. The first four commands deal with our relationship with God. Not having any other gods before Him. Not making graven images. Not using His name in vain. Keeping the Sabbath. All those things are about having a heart for God. What does it mean to have a heart for God? And then what does it mean to have a heart for other people? Honoring your parents. Not committing adultery. Taking their wife. Taking their possessions. Not bearing false witness about them. Doing damage to them with your tongue. And so it's about how to have a heart for people. Leviticus, when we get up into there, it says that the sum of all the commands is love for your neighbor. The first four commands are about loving God. The last six are about loving your neighbor. Well, when you get to thou shalt not covet, it kind of sends you right back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Because coveting impacts our relationship with God. It impacts our relationship with one another. And lastly, we're going to deal with also its impact on you, on me as an individual. Because the Bible deals with it in all three of those ways. So the heart of the matter, dealing with this command, thou shalt not covet. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian at age 20 and stuff, and then started learning about what it meant to be a Christian. And when I came across this idea of thou shalt not covet, I wrestled with it. What does that mean exactly? Does it mean you can never want anything? If my neighbor has something that's really cool, should I not go out and get one? What does that mean? How does that work out in my life? Does it mean uh, maybe I just can't want the one he has, but you know uh, the, the store has another one on the shelf and I can go get that one? And so I started trying to think through, well, what can I want and what can't I want? And you know, in some of that I was just kind of asking the wrong questions. Because the idea of coveting comes right back to this question. It's not what you can have or what you can't have. You know, rich people can covet. Poor people can covet. Everybody has to wrestle with covetousness. Because you see, what covetousness is, it's not really about the amount of possessions that you own or how nice of a house you live in or what kind of a car you drive. Covetousness is about what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Do you love God? Do you love people? That's where covetousness comes in. The first uh, part that we're going to deal with is dealing with God. Why? Because these are His commandments. He's the one that gave us these commandments and said you will keep these commandments. So obviously these things are very important. And if we go against these commandments or violate these commandments, then we're, we're offending God. We're violating our relationship with God. And so the first thing we see is that it impacts your relationship with God. If we don't keep these commands, it puts us in a different position before God. Now, obviously, none of us have kept these commands. I am guilty of covetousness. I have been in the past. I will be in the future. 
Um, I'll wrestle with it. That's exactly why we need Christ. That's exactly why we need the Gospel. And that's one of the points that the whole law is getting across, is it's showing us, look, here's the straight line. Look at how crooked you are as you've veered off of it from time to time. And it's meant to bring us to Christ, to bring us to the Gospel. And you know what? When you look at covetousness, it's actually the opposite of the Gospel. In covetousness, you're looking at something somebody else has and saying, boy, I wish I had that. I wish I had their circumstances. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their home. I wish I had. And so you would like to have whatever somebody else has. In the Gospel, it's the opposite. Jesus says, I'm willing to give up what I have so that you can have it. You see, Jesus says, you don't have life and I have life and I will lay my life down so that you can have it. Covetousness says, I want what they have. The Gospel says, I want to give them what I have. And that's what we have in Christ. But, but it impacts our relationship with God. Now, obviously, because as we violate the commands and we violate that relationship with God, but even as a Christian, even as a Christian, if I violate one of these commands, does it mean I'm no longer forgiven, no longer a child of God? No. But it does affect my relationship with God at the moment. You know, it's kind of like when I was a child. When I was a child and I'd done nothing wrong, I was excited to see my dad come home. When I was a child and I did something wrong, I wasn't excited to see dad come home. Especially if it came with the precursor of my mom saying, wait till your dad gets home. It does that same thing with our relationship with God, and so it impacts it in that way as well. Well, covetousness brings us right back to the very beginning commands that God gives in the Ten Commandments. It brings us right back to not having any other gods before Him. Because when we covet other things, we are committing, the Bible tells us, we are committing idolatry. You know, for a long time I kind of struggled with that. I would hear people talk about idolatry and they would say, you know what, we, we worship other things and stuff like that. And I, I remember as a younger Christian and stuff, I thought, no, I don't. I'm not worshiping other things. I don't, I don't make any idols. I don't bow down to anything. I'm not praying to anything else. Until I recognized covetousness. When I realized what covetousness is within my own heart, then I realized that I am guilty of, you know, the very first commandment, have no other gods before me, I always thought was the easiest one to keep. No way I would ever worship a different god than him. But I have through covetousness. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, that, that tells us how important this is. No inheritance in the kingdom of God. Not going to heaven if this is how we live in covetousness. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. But notice right there in the, in the parentheses what he does. He says, or a person who is, he's listing these different sins that people participate in. And he says, look, if this is your lifestyle to live in these sins, you're not part of the family of God. Don't let anybody deceive you with uh, warm, fuzzy words or whatever. It's just those things run contrary to God, so you cannot embrace God and sin at the same time. He says, but, when he's going through there, he lists this one sin, covetousness, and he says, which is idolatry. 
You're worshiping other gods. He does the same thing in his letter to the Colossians. To the Colossians in chapter 3, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so again, he does the same thing. He gives them pretty much the same list of sins. And he says, when he gets to covetousness, he puts an added emphasis on it. He says, this is idolatry. Why? What is it about wanting other things, desiring other things, having to have other things that is idolatry? How does that make me worshiping a different God? Well, here's where it comes to the heart of the matter. And that's exactly where it happens, is in the heart. Where's your satisfaction? What are you satisfied in? What gives you satisfaction? I remember when I was a, when I was a kid looking forward to Christmas time or a birthday, right? You're scouring the old, the little kids aren't going to know what I'm talking about, but JCPenney's catalogs and Sears catalogs and stuff like that. You'd go scouring the catalog. If we're going to bring it up to speed, if I was living as a child during this time, then I would be looking online. I'd be looking on Amazon. I would be Googling things or whatever. But, that's what you were doing. You were looking for, you were picking that, looking for that one gift, that one gift that, well, boy, I just gotta have this. This is really gonna be awesome. This is really gonna make me happy. And I noticed something as I grew up, that I got a lot of those gifts, and now they're all gone. In fact, some of them, I remember getting a weight set one time, and I thought, I'm gonna be buff. I never got buff. I was alright because I was in wrestling and football and things like that that kept me in shape, and I was a skinny kid anyway, but, one of those skinny kids wanting to have big muscles and they never, never happened. And now I'm 55 and I don't even care to be buff anymore. I was really good at that weight set for about four days. And then it did, it spent most of its time collecting dust. Not that I never pulled it out again for short bursts, but you know what? It just didn't bring satisfaction. But that's okay because after the weight set there was something else cool that I wanted. But you know what? It didn't bring satisfaction either. And, but then there was something else. But And you see the pattern. You've experienced the pattern. The point is, we're off pursuing and chasing other things. And Christ is our satisfaction. He's who we're to be satisfied in. Who we're to be satisfied with. You see, if we find our satisfaction in God Himself, then those things are just things. And not that they're not enjoyable, in fact, you know, early in the book of James, in chapter 1, he tells us every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And so he gives us things to enjoy. We can enjoy those things, but you know what? If it's all about those things, it's not that enjoyable. It's temporary and it fades. But our satisfaction is to be found in Christ. Our contentment is to be found in Him. We should be completely content knowing that we have Him. But you know what that does? It really sets you free to enjoy him, to enjoy people, to enjoy things, because it's a very different experience when you have the freedom of being content in Christ compared to the bondage that comes with covetousness. But why is covetousness idolatry? Because you start to look to other things to satisfy something that only Christ is meant to satisfy. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the heart of man. I've heard it often described this way, like a God-sized hole in your heart that's meant to be filled only by God Himself. And I think that's why so many times we chase after things. We're trying to fill that hole, fill that hole, fill that hole. 
we, we fill it with things. We fill it with, with position and reputation. We try to fill it with relationships. We try to fill it with a lot of different things. The only thing that can fill it is God. You see, now that now you're starting to see why that's idolatry. Because if there's a hole in me that only God is meant to satisfy and I seek to be satisfied in something else, then I'm actually chasing a different God. You know, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't go chasing after dollars. Dollars are not what your life is all about. Don't be worried about that stuff. God's going to take care of you. He says, but be completely content with what you have. Why should you be content? He says, because I'm here. Because I'm here. God's saying your relationship with me should be enough to give you that satisfaction, that deep, lasting satisfaction that you're looking for in life. It's when we don't have that that we chase all the other things. In James chapter 4, he deals with this. He says, what causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. He's describing what this covetousness does within ourselves and within our relationship with God. And let's focus first of all on the last part of the passage. But notice how He refers to them in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people. You know, that's how God always referred to Israel in the Old Testament. When they chased after other gods and they bowed down before other gods, He always referred to them as adulterous people. Because He had made them for Himself and He drawn them to Himself and they continued to try to find satisfaction in other gods. And He said, you're, you're an unfaithful wife. Well, now He's writing to Christians in James chapter 4 and He says the same thing to the Christians. He says, you adulterous people. Now, what is it exactly that they were being... How were they being unfaithful to God? They were being unfaithful to God through covetousness, it tells us, through, through their pursuit of other things, of worldly things. Because they're so locked into the world that they're forgetting God. Now, the very last part of it is where the real meat of it really seems to come home. The very last part of it, he says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He's made to dwell in us. That Spirit that He's made to dwell within you. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. It's talking about your Spirit. It's talking about who you are on the inside. And He's saying that Spirit that is within you, God made that Spirit. He made you. He fashioned you. And that Spirit that He's made to dwell within you, it says that He yearns jealously for it. In other words, what God wants out of this relationship is for you to turn back to God, the One who made you, the One who sent His Son to die for you. He wants you to turn back to Him and yearn for Him. To love Him the way that He loves you. That's not a lot to ask, is it? But at the same time, it's everything to ask. That's what we look for in our relationships. That's what we look for in our marriages. God is just saying, look, I am crazy about you. I want you to be crazy about me. 
But what happens is, God's crazy about us, and so He kind of spoils us a little bit. And when He spoils us a little bit, and we get to experience good things in life, it should turn us right back to God and say, God, thank You so much. You are so awesome for allowing me to experience this. But instead, a lot of times what we do is we get so caught up in the experience itself or the thing itself or the reputation itself or the relationship itself or whatever it is that we just we don't even take a look back to God. And all of a sudden, now all of our focus is on this one thing and where's God? He's going, uh, I'm the one that gave you that. That's our relationship with God. He yearns for us. He loves us. He's crazy about us. If we're not crazy about Him, we're crazy about something else instead. If we're not finding satisfaction in Him, we're finding satisfaction in something else. No matter what it is, that's idolatry. We're putting something else in God's place and enjoying that instead of Him. You know, I've experienced it both ways. I've experienced it where I got to enjoy something and I just thought that that, that, that experience or that thing or whatever was just, that was just it. And I, that's what I'm excited about. That is so much more empty of an experience than if I turn back and I worship God for it. It's on a whole different level when I recognize where that gift came from and how I got to enjoy it. One involves worshiping God. One involves worshiping something else. And there's really no comparison in the two. All right, well, not only does it affect our relationship with God, it also reflects our relationship with, as it says over and over through the passage, your neighbor. You're impacting other people that are your neighbors or that you are around. In the same way that covetousness leads us back to idolatry, covetousness in dealing with our neighbor leads us back to all the horizontal sins as well. You're not going to take your neighbor's belongings without first coveting his belongings. You're not going to take your neighbor's wife or spouse without first desiring that spouse. And so this really actually kind of does what Jesus does later on when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that you say don't kill, I'm telling you don't hate. You say don't commit adultery, or the Word says don't commit adultery, I'm saying don't even lust. And this last one really does that. Because it's saying, look, it's not only don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. It's also don't want their stuff. Don't set your desire on those things. And so when we look at it, this really becomes the heart issue of dealing with our relationships as well. Let's revisit James chapter 4 for a moment. The very beginning of part of the passage doesn't deal so much with their relationship with God. It deals first with their relationship with others. Because he says this in the beginning. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So he just leads with a question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so he says, look, it's, why, why is there friction? Why is there bickering? Why is there fighting? Why is there quarreling and strife? Why is there tension in your relationships? He says, isn't it because of this? Because you're wanting other people's stuff? You want what they have? You, you don't have it, so it makes you frustrated? makes you bitter? As people, we struggle with that sometimes. When somebody has something really cool happen to them, often we go to, well, why can't that happen to me? If somebody has something really nice, boy, I would love to have something like that. Somebody has a, a situation that, that works very well for them, boy, if I could experience something like that. And you know what the whole point is? We should be happy for them. 
Our response shouldn't be, wow, I wish I could have, but wow, that's pretty cool that they get to experience that. So it impacts our relationship with others. You know, when we think about these things in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, God's given us a great example when we look back into the Old Testament. We've already seen it in our study through Exodus up to this point. Remember back in chapter 15 when they came out and they found some water and it was bitter? And what did they do? They complained. They grumbled. And God was merciful. What did God do? He made the bitter water sweet and they were able to drink. Then we get to chapter 16 and they want the bread. We're hungry. And God hears their grumbling, hears their complaining, and He gives them bread. Then we get to chapter 17 and they're thirsty again. And He gives them water out of the rock. And then you keep kind of following that idea and they get to recorded in Numbers chapter 14, I think it is. They get up to the promised land where they're about to go in and they send in spies and they come back and they say, forget it, we could never do that. We could never beat those guys. And they start to grumble and complain again and they complain to Moses and they say, you brought us out here into the wilderness so that our children would die in the wilderness. And God said, okay, that's enough. Because of your grumbling and your complaining, you're not gonna, you're gonna die in the wilderness, but your children are gonna go on into the promised land, and they would do that 40 years later. When you look at Deuteronomy, when that next generation is about to go into the promised land, Moses reminds that generation, look back at your forefathers before you. God continually provided for them in miraculous ways in the wilderness. They continually grumbled about their situation. And they're not here to go into the promised land today just because of that. In Psalm 106, the psalmist does the same thing going through Israel's history and showing how they continually grumbled against God and they continually failed God in areas of faithfulness. Why did God take it so personally when they grumbled about their circumstances? They grumbled about where they were in the desert there. It's because God is the one that has them there in the desert. You know, when we grumble about our circumstances, it does two things. Grumbling about our circumstances first of all, says something about our relationship with God. Because it's God that is allowing us or even putting us in those circumstances. And so there's things for us to learn in those circumstances. There's things for us to even enjoy in those circumstances. But you know what the second thing it does is? It impacts our relationship with other people. Because as we feel under those circumstances, we begin to be short with other people and we begin to be bitter over things because we're not content, because we're not satisfied. Because we don't feel like we're getting what we deserve. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, and the context of this is, he just got done going through the works of the flesh, and he lists a bunch of horrible sins. And then he goes into the, the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And that's things like love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So good things that can be in our life as we walk in the Spirit. Bad things that are in our life. Ugliness that's in our life as we live in sin. And then he says in verses 25 and 26, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And the reason I bring this up, I know it doesn't have the word covet in it, but it has a sister in it, which is envy. And it says, look at what we do when, we, when we're envying one another. We become conceited, proud, arrogant. We provoke one another. You know, it's just part of your nature. If you start feeling like you don't have what you should have and things aren't going the way you want them to be, if you don't put covetousness aside, if you don't find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ, if you don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, which is actually exactly where the rest of James chapter 4 goes, if you wanted to look back at that. But if we don't humble ourselves before God and humble ourselves under this command to not covet, then it will 
create bitterness within us. And it will create strife in our relationships with other people. So much so, even to the point where, God forbid, you break one of the other commands and you start to begin to try to take what they have. But that's where it leads. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 gives us a lot better way. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's the way of love. You know, the antidote for covetousness is love. It's love of God and love of other people. Uh, think of Romans chapter 13 and verse 9. He says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, lastly, how does this impact you? Well, obviously we're already kind of tipping into that. If I'm covetous, if I'm chasing after other things, I am forever unsatisfied. Continually unsatisfied. And that doesn't create a very pretty person on the inside. Well, Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He's just telling the people, Look, your life is, worth, is so much more than what you own. Well, in fact, you know what? He goes on to tell a story right in that chapter. He said there was a guy, and he was doing well. He was prosperous, and he had barns, but his barns were all full. And he said, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on. I'm going to tear down all my barns, get rid of those little things, and I'm going to build big barns. I'm going to build huge barns, and I'm going to fill those up with all my stuff, and then I'm going to relax. Then I'm going to say, I have made it. And Jesus said to him, He says, You fool. He says, That night, that guy's life will be taken, and then whose will his barns full of stuff be? And in the end, it says, That's what happens when you're rich toward things, and you're not rich. Toward God. Now he was talking to people that were not all rich. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It's about whether your heart is set on things or your heart is set on God. It's really not about the fact that what he had in his barn or even what it would end up in his barn. It was about what his heart, what was trying to find satisfaction for his heart in all of those things. When I look around today, here's one of the things I've noticed. I like to think that I'm going to leave some things to my kids. Hopefully most of the things that I leave to my kids that are of any value have nothing to do with objects that you can hold. Hopefully it has more to do with what came from in here and tried to teach them over the years. You know what, even with that, I still like the idea of leaving some things to my kids. But you know what? I found that in the end, the kids come and they go through the house and they take a few sentimental things, maybe a couple of kind of useful things, and the rest of it gets put on the auction block. Most of us, when we get to the end of our life, the kids are going to walk through our stuff and say, man, why didn't they get rid of this before I had to deal with it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's what your stuff is going to be. And everything is going to be in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. So you know what? We're really getting that jump on it. If we make what's important then important now. If we find satisfaction in our relationship with God, which will be expressed in our relationship with others, then life is good. And of the physical things that you get to drive or own or whatever during this life, who cares who gets them in the, in the end? In the end, the landfill is where they're going to end up. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so he's warning Timothy there. He says, look, if if people set out after money, it just leads to a lot of ugly things within us that even reach out and try to do, do harmful things to other people to try to get an advantage. He says, so there's a real ugliness in there. He says, but you know where the real gain is? Godliness with contentment. Being close to God in your relationship with Him and content in that relationship and in that position in life. That's where real value lasts.